Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue our study in Romans, I just pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds as we read and study your truth this morning, that you would continue to change us by your sanctifying power, that you would equip us to be ministers in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are working through Paul's conclusion of the letter to the Church of Rome, as we have been doing both in Romans 14 and 15. We're still in Romans 15, and our focal passage will be verses 30 through 33. And Paul writes, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We still have chapter 16 to go in Paul's letter, but if you read the end of 15, verses 30 through 33, you could ask yourself, what is Paul asking? What is he wanting from the church of Rome? And you look at verse 30, it gives you the answer. He's, he's asking for prayer, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And that's going to be the subject of the sermon this morning, is congregational prayer, congregational prayer, or you could call it corporate prayer. And one could ask, why is Paul asking for prayer? And there's a couple of different answers for that. It could be part of just polite conversation, if you think about it, part of a religious, polite conversation. And in fact, if you think about conversations that we have with believers, sometimes we are guilty of either one flippantly saying, well, I'll pray for you, and then going about our daily business, or asking somebody for their prayers, and it becomes just part of a conversation that Christians have with one another, and it stops right there. It's almost like asking somebody, how are you? It's that equivalent. And I think at some point we can all admit that we've been flippant about telling somebody that we would pray for them and just have it end right there. I would argue against Paul concluding this letter in a flippant manner. 
I don't think that that's what Paul is doing here when he is requesting prayer from the church of Rome. And there's a number of reasons for that. And the first one I can say is that Paul in his own life witnessed the power of prayer. He witnessed the power of prayer. Let's first go to Acts 9. Acts chapter 9, we are reading about the conversion of Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus. And the Lord is telling Ananias to go to Paul. And if you look at verse 10, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Now look at what he's doing. For behold, he is praying. And it goes on in verse 12, and it says, And in a vision... He has, referring to Paul, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. In verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent days with the disciples at Damascus. Would that make you a believer in prayer? Yeah. That you were blinded by Christ on the road to Damascus. You had scales on your eyes. You're praying. You have a vision that Ananias is going to come and put his hands on you. And it works out to be that way. My friend, I think that if that were you and me, we would be a firm believer in the power of prayer. There was another event in Paul's life that made him a firm believer in the power of prayer. And it's while he's sitting in a Philippian jail cell. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25. It reads, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were, what? Were praying. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, There was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set the food before them and he rejoiced, 
having believed in God with all his household. So not only was his prayer answered, but also the Philippian jailer came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of those occasions would make you a firm believer in prayer. And when you think about Paul in our focal passage that we'll look at in a little bit more depth regarding this topic, but Paul in both cases prayed specifically. How do I know that? Well, if you were immediately blinded on the road to Damascus, would you be praying specifically? Absolutely. If you were in a jail, would you be praying specifically? Absolutely. And we need to pray specifically as well. We need to pray specifically. 1 John 5.14 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. First of all, we need to pray with confidence. It says this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Going to the Lord in praying in confidence. Confidence. I think that prayer, unfortunately, in our modern time has almost become a hope. But it doesn't need to be a hope. He hears us. Now, you may not get the answer that you're wanting, your outcome that you're wanting. But in your prayer, can you be confident that God's sovereign will is going to be accomplished? That answer is yes. So I can go to him in confidence. But I also need to go to him with specificity. Why is that the case? Because it says here in 1 John 5, verse 15, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. What's a petition? It's a specific request, isn't it? It is a specific request. And you and I, as we engage the Lord in prayer, need to be specific. Paul was specific in our focal passage. Look back, Romans 15, verse 30. Let me point out to you, Three specific things that Paul asked the church of Rome to engage with him in corporate prayer. 1530, now I beg you, brethren, that the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Here's the first one, verse 31. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Now remember, he's going to Jerusalem to present an offering. And what he's asking for, he's asking for protection, isn't he? And so he's specifically saying, I'm going for this moment in my ministry, and I'm asking that you pray to God for my safety. What's the second thing? It's right there in verse 31. And that my service 
for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He's praying for a success in ministry. Protection, a success in ministry. Look at the third thing, verse 32. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. In other words, he's praying that his ministry might continue past Jerusalem so he can go visit the church at Rome, which he's longed to do. So here he is, as he's concluding his remarks in verse 15, he's asking the church, Join with me together in prayer, and here are my specific requests. Here's my specific request. God wants us to petition Him specifically. A great reference for that is the model prayer in Matthew 6. And I think it's important, a lot of people call this the Lord's Prayer, that's how it's commonly known, but other people refer to this as the model prayer. And the reason why they refer to it as the model prayer, if you remember contextually, his disciples are saying, Lord, teach me to pray. So we're not meant to say the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer as our only prayer, He's not saying this is the prayer. He's going, this is a guideline for how you should be praying. I believe it's one of the most beautiful prayers in all of literature. But it is a model prayer. And when you look at it in that context, that it is a model prayer, it is a guideline. If you look, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When you look at that prayer, can you pray for the kingdom of God specifically? That answer is yes. If I am praying for the salvation of souls, is that a fit for the kingdom of God? It is. It is. In your mail out this month, as you got your table talk, there were two cards in there for you to invite someone to church. And we do need to be inviting people to church And we also need to be engaging in prayer for people who do not know Christ. Now, I could go over here to the grocery store and I could hand a complete stranger one of those cards. People used to do that to me. I used to sack groceries when I was a kid. And invariably, I'd have people that would give me a spiritual track as I was leaving. We could do that. Is it a lot more effective for you to look at a lost person that you know specifically that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and give that card and engage your prayer life for that person's salvation? See, our prayer life needs to be specific. And there's a lot of people that you and I could be praying for specifically that they would be coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about your daily provision? Can you... Pray for that specifically? Absolutely. How about your safety from temptation? Can you pray for that specifically? Absolutely. Do you see it in the model prayer? 
God wants us to have a rich prayer life to where we engage with him and encounter him with the things that we are dealing with on a daily basis. It needs to be specific. And this is what Paul is doing with the church at Rome. He's saying, pray for me and here are the things that I need prayer for in my life at this particular point in time. Paul also believed in corporate prayer. Because you see it in our focal passage. Look back at Romans 15 verse 30. It says, now I beg you, brethren. Now if I told you I'm begging you to do something, is that intense? It's saying, hey, this is important, right? Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you what? Strive together with me. As I mentioned before, that's not just this flippant, hey, when you think about it, throw a prayer up for me. It means it's a serious exercise that we're striving together. That we're striving together in prayer. I'd also like to mention here that it is kingdom-based. It's kingdom-based. I can't remember what book I was reading on prayer, but this phrase stuck with me. It said, too many times the list of the prayers of the church has become the organ recitals for the saints. In other words, it's just a list of our health problems. And we should be praying for each other's health problems. I'm not saying that. But unfortunately, sometimes that can take precedence over praying for the kingdom of God. What's the first thing that Jesus tells you to pray for in the model prayer? His kingdom. His kingdom. And unfortunately, the church has gotten lacks on that. You can Google that. You can Google the demise of the Wednesday night prayer service. Because unfortunately, corporate prayer, members coming together, engaging in the things of God has become a rare event in American church life. Now, that's a real shame for a whole lot of reasons. And one of the things that really makes me sad in the fact that less and less people come and engage in a corporate prayer together is that they are forgetting about the promises of corporate prayer. In Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus said, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You think about the church in decline. And my friends, the American church is in decline. 
In a recent Barna poll, it says only one out of four Americans are practicing Christians. There's a lot of people that say that they're Christians. But when you start asking the questions about, are you doing the things that a Christian does? We're down to 25%. If memory serves me correctly, when we started the church 25 years ago, that number was at 50%. That's how far we've moved away. And one of the things that the church has tried to do in America to adjust the numbers upwards is to reinvent themselves. If we reinvent ourselves, if we look modern, if we sing modern songs, if we redesign the architecture of the church, if we all dressed super, super casual, if we started looking like a church youth group, then people would come. But you don't hear anybody saying, we need to get together and pray consistently for the salvation of people's souls. See, we could pray for a head count, but am I really loving my brother or sister or my fellow human being if I am not engaging specifically in the prayer for people? I mean, we could sit there and say, I want to pray that every seat in the sanctuary will be full. That's what I'm going to pray for. Be careful what you pray for. But does that further the kingdom of Christ? Now, if I prayed that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they'd come for salvation, and you and I engage together in the prayer for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's praying for the kingdom of God, isn't it? And so unfortunately, in the modern church growth movement, everybody got off focus. Let's look like the rest of the world. And if we look like the rest of the world, people will find us appealing. That's not what the gospel's about. It's not looking like the rest of the world. It's looking different from the world. And the only way that that can be accomplished is not by church design, not by a music program that is more modern not by a change in the way that church is done. It's done by the power of Christ and the moving of the Spirit in people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when the church is burdened, burdened with that, and we come together and we pray together for that, you see God move. Two or three are gathered together in my name. It says, if you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, if it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. When you think about that, it's praying for the will of God. Yes, we pray for our needs. Yes, we pray for our illnesses. But my friends, we should be burdened. We should be burdened for our neighbors, for our friends, that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should engage the Lord in prayer. We should strive together 
in the prayer. One of the most wonderful stories I remember as a child growing up. I had the privilege of knowing all of my great-grandparents except two. And the couple that I didn't know, I would have loved to have known them. And my great-granddad was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dad used to tell me this story. It was one of my dad's favorite stories. That the preacher would come over to their house. And my great-granddad and the preacher would go out of the house. No air conditioning in the day. And they'd come out of the house. And they would go down to the creek. And they would pray together for lost souls. And my dad had that as a childhood memory of hearing the preacher and his granddad so concerned for others that they would partner together and lift one another up in the prayer that someone that they knew would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only person that can move a person's heart and mind is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not logic. It's not morality. It's not peer pressure. It's not family pressure. The only thing that can move someone to accept the Lord Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit moving in that person's heart. And we need to join together and we need to pray For our family members, our neighbors, our friends, specifically, specifically, that these people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is power in corporate prayer. Not only is there power, but it's also our long tradition. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Here, post-Pentecost... It says in verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who had gladly received his word were baptized, and at that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and then what else? And in prayers. Since the beginning of the church, there has been congregational prayer where we come together and we lift up our prayers together, that we pray for one another, that we pray for the lost, that we petition God. And therein lies the power of being a Christian. The power that God uses to work through our lives is bound in the power of prayer. So we need to pray expectantly for that. It shouldn't be at the bottom of the list. In fact, it should be at the top of the list. It shouldn't be the matter of last resort. If you think about that, And sometimes we're all guilty of that. We'll try everything in the world. And when everything else doesn't work, well, I guess I better pray about it. I'm going to butcher this Martin Luther quote, but my paraphrase, where he said, I have much to do today. I'll begin with three hours of prayer. Everything should be bathed in prayer. And we shouldn't be 
embarrassed. I've encountered that as a pastor, where people say, well, I'm embarrassed to pray. Nobody should be embarrassed to pray. You're just talking to Jesus. You shouldn't be embarrassed by that. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. You can't make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, the Holy Spirit cleans it up before it gets there. Just pray. And there's something special about having people come together and lifting up each other in prayer and praying for the kingdom of God. I'm worried about the church in America. I'm worried about Mill Creek as we are an older congregation. There's one thing that we need to do more than anything else. Yes, we need to invite. Yes, we need to go out and witness. We need to do all those things. But my friends, before we do anything, we need to partner together as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to petition God that he would use our congregation to further his kingdom and rest in the power and confidence that we have in prayer. Join me in prayer, please. Father, I just pray that we might be a praying people, that we would pray with confidence, that we wouldn't pray flippantly, but we would strive together with one another regarding the things of your kingdom, that we would put the kingdom ahead of our needs and our desires just as you gave us the example in the model prayer, that we would be kingdom focused. I pray, Lord, that you'd work through us. I pray that we would be a witness. I pray, Lord, that you'd move among us and that we would give you all the glory as we see you move and act. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.